Brothers on Books podcast, the greatest podcast with the best brothers talking about the best books. Please welcome your hosts, Jack and Alex, the Brothers on Books. What it do, what it do, this is the Brothers on Books podcast, where you find great books that will give you real value and actionable steps and have fun in the process. Please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendations, or if you'd like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind. A great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to this would be greatly appreciated. If you can think of any friend, family member, or coworker that might like this episode, please pass it along. For the original episodes, the OGs, please visit brothersonbooks.com. And lastly, we're now on Instagram at brothersonbooks. I am Jack Allwell, and with me, as always, is Alex Allwell, my brother. Al, how you doing today? Doing great, Jack. I'm in uh, cold New York. As we're recording this episode, so it's not, you know, quite as pleasant weather-wise as the Deep South as I've become accustomed to, but still very nice. How you doing? I'm doing well. I guess when this episode releases, however, you will be in sunny Hawaii. Yeah, You know, you say that. I I saw some article that said Hawaii was going to be hit with a snowstorm, so I don't know how sunny it will be. What? Uh, Really? Yeah. Wow. Something about there was some volcano erupting, and now I sent an article to the family group chat that I don't think anyone read. Ah, uh, well, I guess in any case, happy uh, holidays to the listeners, and I think the episode after this will probably do some sort of yearly review and get the books for next time. But this week we are discussing the book Into the Wild by John Krakauer. We discussed his book, Into Thin Air, Episode 6. He's an outdoorsman, and his parents were definitely academics, and he kind of broke loose from that vein of thinking and spent a lot of time as a carpenter, yeah, just kind of wandering around doing adventures, doing cool stuff. So, yeah, what did you think after finishing this one? You know, like the first one, not a particularly uplifting book relatively somber but i enjoyed the read it was a very interesting i guess we'll probably get into talking about it but the the story highlighting the main character i guess chris mccandles or alexander supertramp however you want to call him just kind of highlighting his life and for lack of a better word his odyssey through from i guess atlanta to alaska i thought it was very interesting i think the lifestyle is very interesting I have to say, I do sort of sometimes feel the appeal to want to just go live, you know, away from people, away for, I mean, more or less away from responsibility from others to just kind of be on your own and have to fend for yourself. I do get that appeal to want that. But at the end of the day, yeah, I think it was sort of a depressing book. Mm -hmm. What about you? How did you how did you feel after it? I guess I would start off by saying I think Krakauer is like an unbelievable storyteller. The way he weaves like other people's stories in with the main character. He goes through multiple people that are similar to Chris and their journeys to get more perspective on what Chris might have been going through. And I definitely see the appeal of going on these adventures. In fact, we, I think at one point, were actually planning an Alaskan trip. Now, I don't think we would have gone and lit, tried to live off the land, but I 
absolutely remember mapping out how long it would take me to drive to Alaska at one point. Sixty-six hours from Ann Arbor. It was some crazy amount like that. I, I remember looking at that too. I definitely have always been drawn to Alaska for whatever reason. And then there was that show a couple of years ago that started Life Below Zero. And the way they depict life, it is, you know, somewhat enticing to try out, to to try to go live off the land, live where, you know, time doesn't really matter and try to have an adventure. And then another thought that I, I really couldn't get out of my head, and I think because a lot of people were saying he was unprepared, stupid, and he decided to share his story of going into Alaska and doing some crazy hikes, I think with like ice picks up a ice face. Trying to climb Devil's Thumb in Alaska, if people want to look that up. Yeah, so I mean that, that, and I think the only difference is that, you know, luck happened to be on his side. Yeah, he, he survived and Chris did not. Yeah, and I also thought one of the other people we've interviewed, Alistair Humphreys, kind of struck me as a similar character that didn't want to be pegged down to like normal society and wanted to, you know, go on these adventures. And he, you know, biked around the world, did an adventure through the desert, rode across the Atlantic. And maybe he was just lucky to see the other side. And now he's kind of toned it down. But it seems like there's a lot of people that have this type of feeling to want to experience these adventures. Those are my thoughts. But yeah, Alistair Humphreys was definitely going through my mind when I was reading this. And I'd be maybe we should message him and see if he's read this and what he thinks. I think he would have an interesting take. I guess I remember for those, for, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, but this was made as a movie. Oh, okay. Um, I know Kristen Stewart was in it. And then I think the guy's name is Emil Hirsch. He's a big star in like the early 2000s. Okay. The only reason I really remember that is I remember dad and I went and saw this movie on a Friday night at midnight. And we were the only ones in the theater on like, it would have been like 2006 or 2007. But I distinctly remember seeing this movie. And there are a couple of things, I guess I'll just say this right away. When he's talking about the end, when uh, Chris can't can't ford the river to get out of the bush where he then eventually starves. In the book, I think John does a much better job of explaining what the river looked like and that it was like 100 feet wide and rapid, tor- like rapid mm-hmm. waters. In the movie, I remember thinking it just looked like a fast moving stream. And I was like, dude, like, get across. Like, it doesn't look that bad. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being like, man, that guy was stupid. But I guess sort of, you know, like what you were saying is that in the book, yeah, a lot of people were saying how unprepared he was. But I feel like John did a good job almost of going back and more or less exonerating him for the fact that where he was maybe somewhat unprepared, he was not stupid. And I actually found. This this may have something to do with my background. I actually found the last chapter of the book to be the most interesting, where he was going through what the different plants and what he might have ate that would have poisoned him. Or that poisoned part, him, right? Yeah, because okay. because also in also in the movie they make it they make it look like he mixed up. They, they talk about the two different plants that are very similar, and in the movie they clearly show that he ate the wrong plant. And that's what mm-hmm. caused him to be sick. 
and eventually starve. And then in the book, I feel like sort of through some scientific investigation, they more or less showed that it was really he was eating the wrong part of a plant that was not listed out to be poisonous. So he had no way of knowing that what he was eating was actually poisonous when it more or less was said to be okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just going to say there's um, maybe explain like the river aspect because the river wasn't like a raging river when he crossed it in like April. Right. Yeah. So the, the river, when he went into the bush in April, was just like almost like a babbling stream when it was partially frozen over. And what happened was when you have all the snow melt, the river floods. So the river goes, I, I think he said like 10 to 100 times like wider and deeper. I mean, he's describing it as strong white water rapids. You, you've never whitewater rafted, have you? Only at the Whitewater Center in Charlotte. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> If, if anyone's ever whitewater rafted, if you're going to do, if you're going to cross whitewater rapids, that is not an easy thing to do. You're not just going to go and do that. And then John sort of also said that Chris had stated that he was afraid of water. Like it didn't sound like he could really swim. So it makes sense that if the river was as wide and deep as he sort of says, because they, John goes back to where he died the year after. Mm -hmm. And if the river looks like what he's describing, it makes total sense that he would turn around, especially because he had made it that long in the woods with really no issue. So he had, would have no reason to believe that he couldn't make it, you know, another month without problems. Yeah, um, and on top I, of the on top of the speed and the width of the river, it's also frigidly cold. It right. sounded like yeah. it still had the ice chunks coming down. Yeah. So you you liked the other stories he told about the other young men that went into the wild? Yes, I did. There was one guy in particular who spent, I think it was like 10 years, and he like devoted his life to analyzing and assessing whether people could really live totally off the land. And I, I guess with, you know, quote unquote, comfort. And basically... <laughs> He concluded that this is not possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just a lot of great stories of other men that ventured into the bush. Okay, this guy's name was Gene Rossellini. Yeah, he lived 10 years off the land and concluded people couldn't really live off the land. <laughs> well, he, he was using no modern tools, right? Wasn't yeah, that one of the things? Correct, correct. No, no, no tools. <laughs> I mean, I'm amazed he made it 10 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's an eternity. And I don't think he was really close to people. Like, he was really by himself. So, from that perspective, well, one would consider, like, addicted to other people. Like, we need other people to yeah. feel whole and to go 10 years with not really a lot of contact with people, that would be tough. Just like into thin air. I, yeah, I like the tangential stories of the other people. I need to look them up, but I want to look up this Rossellini guy. There's another guy named Waterman and then a guy named McCunn, I think. And then there was the Everett, the guy that walked yep. into the desert, Everett uh, Rooser. I can't yep. pronounce his last name. That's true. Yeah, and that's I, I a, that was in southern Utah. That was an interesting story also. They made it sound like his demise was 
maybe a little nefarious. But the Rosalini guy, though, he uh, he came from like a political family, though, I, I believe. Correct. You remember? I do not remember. But most of these guys, I feel like they have similar stories where the parents are like very, I guess, successful. And then they just don't want to they don't want anything to do with the parent success. And they just, you know, don't want to feel like they're mooching in any way. What do you think? Yeah, so I, I I got that. I mean, I guess uh, at one point he described like Chris feeling, I don't know, almost like ashamed that they had stuff. I think it's hard to tell. I feel like John didn't really describe Chris's relationship with his father in the way that I wanted to know about it because he he describes that John's father or Chris's father had this like second life that was hidden, right? He like had yep. an entire different different family. family yep. And that when he found out and he found out about this other family when he was like 20 or 21, and that's kind of when he started almost isolating himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it I sounded could, like there was some overlap in like the two, like him families. seeing the two women kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like he was wanted to call his father a hypocrite for like how he lived. But I also don't know like how his father... Like, I could see wanting to call your dad a hypocrite if he was, like, telling you to live, like, I guess a quote-unquote morally sound life when, from, like, a decent amount of time, you were, you know, with two women raising two families, which by most American standards would be referred to as immoral. But to your early point of isolation, I feel like even John sort of made it seem like from Chris's diary entries, he he was tired of the isolation and he kind of realized that for like true happiness, you need to share it with other people. I, I don't remember. I think that's one of the quotes he has written down at the end. I think, I believe, yeah, that was at the tail end of his trip when he basically seemed like he was ready to integrate with normal society. society right. The conclusion he had come to more or less was that to be happy and to have happiness, you need to share it with other human beings to have a fulfilled, like, I guess, a fulfilled life. That was sort of my takeaway on that. But I guess he, he tied nicely together his own issues. I mean, he doesn't really explain what issues he had with his own dad, but he just said that he felt like his John was kind of calling his dad a hypocrite and he felt like Chris was calling his dad a hypocrite. And they both went out and did these crazy adventures. And I will say I did really enjoy reading John talk about trying to climb up the devil's thumb in Alaska. That that was probably, I mean, in terms of like feeling part of the experience because it was like his own experience. experience, Right. You could really get a, a grasp for what was what he was fearing. And I think at one point he talked about feeling like he was, you know, his chest was like, his heart was beating so hard and his legs started cramping. And I I could really like envision myself being in that situation. Got to imagine like you're staring death in the eye and then go down. And then he went back up. I assumed after he talked about how he uh, was so scared the first time he was just going to go down, but he went Mm -hmm. back up. Yeah, because he spent like, what was it, like 30 days by himself or? It was a long time. And he unfortunately burned a hole in his tent, which made his tent colder (laughs) at one point. Yeah. And he, well, okay, one idea he had that I thought was so good. I don't know how helpful it really would have been if there was like a huge crevasse, but I think he said he had like 
curtain rods that were like eight or 10 feet long. And he had two of them that he like put in a cross and like he attached to his back. So if he fell down a crevasse, hopefully it would like stop him from falling through. I thought that, I thought that was like a really like genius idea. I don't know if it really would have supported him if, if he would have fallen, but I mean, at least he tried to prepare, I guess. So I thought that was, that was a cool idea. What did you think of, cause he brought up this point that Chris didn't take a map. And if he would have taken a map, I actually didn't know what he meant by this. I think he called it a, it was a special type of map, but basically. Top, top of, I think it was a topological map. Yeah, it wasn't. I, yeah, I, I, I guess, I, does that show like man-made objects on know. it? Because th- there was basically this cable system that one could cross the river in like a basket, like a pulley system. And if if he would have had one of these maps, he would have known if he would have just gone like, I think it was like a mile further north, he would have found this basket that he could have just, you know, pulled himself across the river in this basket. But, you know, he, he wanted to do it with with no help. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my initial thought. But then if you're going to say that, like, well, why, you know, what's the cutoff for like help? Because he brought a gun. He had a machete. He had a sleeping bag. At what point do you cut off? Do you cut yourself off from like needing help? Because he wasn't like. The guy we talked about earlier that was the Rosalini guy who was using no tools. I, I think he talked about in the book about him spending days using stones to chop logs. Mm-hmm. Chris wasn't doing that. I, I guess it's easy for us to be here now and be like, dude should have brought a map and he'd be alive. Yeah. And then I thought John brought up another good or at least another perspective on why maybe because we're kind of just like. It's all conjecture on what killed them or why he like he brought up the point. Why didn't he try to like start a forest fire? And then a plane might have seen him. And then he kind of said, well, you know, he had stayed there a couple. John, that is, had stayed there a couple nights and hadn't seen any like small planes pass by. So maybe that's what was going through Chris's head that it it wouldn't have helped really. But I don't know if I was starving, I probably would have started one anyway. Yeah, I think I probably would have as well. I mean, I guess this all comes back to the point that a lot of people, there was a decent contingent of people that said they thought he wanted to commit suicide, right? Like his goal was Mm -hmm. not to come out of the bush. So I feel like the back or like the last, more or less the last 50 pages of the book was John kind of going through and showing why he didn't think Chris was trying one to commit suicide and two, why he wasn't incompetent in living Mm -hmm. off the land, which I mean, to be fair, I think he succeeded. And like, I don't, I don't think after reading the book, I don't think his intention was to die. And I don't think he was incompetent. I agree. But I also kind of like, I can't help but like compare. Cause like he said, his favorite author was Jack London. And apparently like he just, I think in the beginning of the book, they talk about how much he read like Jack London stuff. Well, I don't know. I can't I can't help but think like Jack London committed suicide. I think I might be getting that wrong. I think he did. But I, I think he also shot himself. Uh-huh. And Chris would have had the opportunity to shoot himself, which yeah. he didn't do. True. And then they brought up the point that Jack London, even though he talks about all this nature stuff, was really just like a drunk and kind of kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Obese and didn't really leave his place much. So just, I guess. 
goes to underline, you know, be careful on who you pick to follow and see what they're actually doing, not just what they're saying or writing. Or I think he makes the point of sort of saying that the people Chris granted leniency to were people that he viewed as doing work in an interesting way. It was like writers and the people he met on the road mm-hmm. who obviously had some severe problems that he viewed as great people, but his it was his father who I guess made one of these moral like indiscretions that he had trouble forgiving. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's probably harder, I would say, to forgive your father for something along those lines than someone you don't even really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. It, it means kind of a weird, like everyone talked like he was pretty like friendly when you were around him, but kind of just didn't have a problem being alone. Like he'd right. be okay being around you for a little bit, but then you'd want to be alone. That seems to be a common trait with a lot of these people. Yeah. Was it the, uh, the introvert extrovert or like the introverted extrovert? I don't know. I, I feel mm-hmm. like I hear in that uh, those psychology circles those terms thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. People that like to be social but need their alone time. Yeah, like an out- outgoing introvert. Yeah. 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 Or a shy extrovert, right? So any other things it, that come to mind? or One of the other things that really uh, sort of resonated with me is back to when John was talking about his own experience of climbing the devil's thumb. He talked about like how in his own mind, Accomplishing this was the be-all, end-all of his life, more or less. And that after after he accomplished it, he uh, he went back to Boulder and continued framing houses and putting up siding. And more or less, nothing in his life really changed. Even though when you're preparing for it, it, it seems like it seems like everything's going to change. Mm-hmm. And I guess that. Uh, that that subtle that point really resonated with me. I, I felt exactly like that going through grad school. It's like I just remember always telling myself, like, oh, once I finish grad school, like everything will be different. And then mm-hmm. of course you you know, you finish. I, I don't know if you felt the same way about when you completed your FSA. I think the point I took from that was like because he said like when he would go to the bar after he did that and he told like some people just didn't believe that he did it. And then others right. believed it, but they just didn't care. Because yeah. every, everyone thinks about themselves by and large. So I think that's kind of, that's more of the thing I took from that. But yeah, I, I, I get like, uh, yeah, once you you complete something, yeah, nothing's really changed. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good thought. I don't know. It's like, I, I always felt this like in sports. Like, I mean, how does, like, how do you think Messi feels right now? Like, I guess... You know, Messi just won the World Cup final. Something he's been trying to do for this is his fourth or fifth World Cup. Fifth, you know, fifth. So something he's been trying to do for like the better part of sixteen years. And like, what? What does he do now? Like, it's. You know, I'm sure everyone's super super excited for probably a month, and he goes back to playing soccer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, feel good for Messi. I, he was kind of living in Maradona's shadow, and now I think he'll be able to play even looser. And I, I guess I was expecting him to retire, but now I'm hearing that he's not going to retire from international play. 
So that would be, I was not expecting, I would think you'd want to like just leave on top with Argentina, but who knows? I mean, you, you think he could come back and play in the, uh, the 26 world cup? Be 39. I, I would be, I would not be shocked if he was on the team. Yeah. I, I actually said that as well, but I, um, I don't feel like he'll be playing. Right. At least a lot. But I don't know. I mean, it seems like these guys can play longer with, you know, the way people can take care of their bodies now. It seems like everyone's playing a lot longer. Uh, yeah. But ho- hopefully he can appreciate uh, what he's done. And, but I guess the the, I, the all of Argentina cared very much about that because I think I saw a clip and there was like, I think there was a couple or maybe it was, was it more than like 10 million people in Buenos Aires? Like, I think they had to get like a helicopter to lift the team out yeah, during I, their I heard, parade or something. I, I heard something about that. Yeah. Just like crazy. Okay. Any final thoughts as we close out this episode? I mean, I liked it. I feel like reading his books are always different. They're not really uplifting books, I guess. They're usually a little somber. But overall, it was very enjoyable. Easy read, I guess. Mm -hmm. Quick. Yeah, good. How about yourself? I would just say similar to In the Thin Air, like, yeah, I'm very intrigued in some of these characters. And I probably will spend some time on YouTube looking up some of these people to see if there's anything on them. I'm kind of curious what they like look like and if there, there's any videos of them doing anything or. I mean, you should definitely, if you can find it, you should definitely go watch the movie. Okay. Yeah, I will do that. That'll movie, be a fun way to cap it off. Yeah. The movie, the movie was good. So who does Chris and Sue are playing the movie? So it was a very, they don't, they barely even talk about her in the book, but it was uh, when he's at one of those, trailer park sort of bumming around with the uh-huh. people at the swap meet they they described a girl that was a little too young for him that just kind of followed him around ah, was that in arizona or something that was yeah yeah okay yeah. okay i remember that okay so she's she very briefly and very briefly in the movie okay well with that said Please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendations or if you'd like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind, a great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to this would be greatly appreciated. If you can think of any friend, family member, or coworker that might like this episode, pass it along. And for the original episodes, the OGs, please visit brothersonbooks.com. I'm Jack Allwile, and with me, as always, is my brother, Alex Allwile. Al, I will talk to you next time. Bye, Jack. Bye.